We'll be in Galatians chapter 5 today, and this is a continuation of this morning's message. This morning's message, you're going to want to go back uh, to Sermon Audio or Facebook and find that message and listen to it in order to be prepared for tonight's message, which is about the discipline, the spiritual discipline, the spiritual habit, if you will, of responding to the Holy Spirit. And as we mentioned this morning, the Holy Spirit is a person, that is, he has personality, he has a plan for our lives, he cares about us, he feels, he has emotions, he's intelligent, he knows things, he thinks about things, and so we relate to him as we do a human being, except, of course, he's not a human being, but we relate to him in that we commune with him, we pay attention to him, we listen to him, we talk to him, and we will look tonight at responding to the Holy Spirit. So let me read to you Galatians 5, verses 13 through 18. Galatians 5, 13, For brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But... If ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. Father, thank you for this passage. I pray that as we look at it, Tonight, you would open up its truth to us, that your Holy Spirit, indeed, the one who lives inside of us, the one who cares so deeply about us, who comforts us, who guides us, who teaches us all things, would open up the truth of this passage to our minds so we can see clearly what it teaches and understand how we live it out in our daily lives. I lift up to you again our our sister Nita, our brother Larry, others that are in pain or ill tonight, and I pray for their healing. I also ask, Father, for those that aren't with us tonight because they prioritized other things, that, Lord, you'd lay on their heart to meet with us on Sunday nights to worship and to praise you and to see your word and to understand it. Give us a hunger and a thirst after righteousness, and we pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let me just recap here in a few short minutes what we looked at uh, this morning. We looked at some common misunderstandings. And again, if that was one of your misunderstandings, and you're thinking, Pastor, that's really harsh. Why don't you come talk to me? I'd be glad to take the Bible and we can talk about what it says. Uh, I'm not going to go over those again today. But the basics of the Holy Spirit was that the Holy Spirit has personality. That he's not a power to be harnessed. He's not a creature to be tamed. He's not a gift to be flaunted. He's a person that wants to commune with you, that wants a relationship with you. And do you recall what it is that keeps us from having that relationship with the Holy Spirit? What are the two things? Sin and a subset of that, pride. And I hope that you dealt with the Holy Spirit this uh, morning, this afternoon, and those things are out of the way. We'll come back to those in a bit because those are the two things that keep us from responding to the Holy Spirit. So now we get to this devotional discipline of walking in the spirit. And we're going to look here at Galatians chapter five, verse 16 says this, I say, then walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. This passage gives us some principles of walking in the spirit. 
And remember, walking in the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, two phrases, very similar meanings. They, they're sort of looking at this from uh, opposite sides, but very similar meanings. Walking in the Spirit from this passage, Galatians 5.16. Being filled with the Spirit from Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18. But I'll, I'll probably switch back and forth between those. Don't let that confuse you. Being filled with the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, basically the same uh, purpose. But here are the principles of walking in the Spirit. The first principle of walking in the Spirit is we walk in the Spirit to better serve each other. Look at verse 13 with me where it says, Brethren, ye have been called unto liberty, only use not liberty as an occasion for the flesh, but by love serve one another. I mentioned this morning that this Holy Spirit, the the idea of walking in the Spirit, the idea of being filled with the Spirit, is not me getting what I want. It's the Holy Spirit getting what He wants. And the thing the Holy Spirit wants is He wants us to serve each other. So when I walk in the Spirit, I'm a better father. You know why I'm a better father? Because I'm thinking, how do I serve my family walking in the Spirit? What are their needs? How do I meet those needs? Now, those of you that are fathers, those of you that are mothers, know that often as you're a, as a, as you're a parent, as you're a spouse, doesn't what God calls you to do in your family seem completely overwhelming? Now, if you're not ever overwhelmed by parenting, if you're not overwe- ever overwhelmed by marriage, I'd like to talk to you. Because you must have some secret that I don't know. Our children say to us from time to time, we're trying to help our children as they're uh, adults now think through this. And from time to time, they'll say, boy, you make marriage sound like a ha- lot of hard work. Yes, yes, that's, marriage is a lot of hard work. And it would be overwhelming at times. Except that when we walk in the Spirit, He empowers us and He directs us and He guides us. God doesn't want us to be overwhelmed. When I'm feeling overwhelmed, and it happens, when I'm feeling overwhelmed, I'm reminded that in my pride, I'm saying, boy, I better do my best here. And God says, no, 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 I want you to just trust me. Now, there's still work for us to do. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But the Holy Spirit empowers us to serve one another. I'm a better father when I'm walking in the Spirit because I'm attuned to the needs of my family, the needs of my wife, the needs of my children. I'm a better pastor. I'm a better pastor when I'm filled with the Spirit because I'm attuned to the needs of the church, the people that are the church. It's not about what I can get out of the church or how the church can make me look or, boy, if I get the church to do this, I can be listed in some national magazine. No, 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 this has nothing to do with it. My concern when I'm walking in the Spirit is what does my church need? And yes, it can seem overwhelming at times. The problems within a family or the problems within an individual can seem completely overwhelming. You say, Pastor, how do you do it? I don't. I walk in the Spirit. I'm filled with the Spirit, and the Spirit helps me. He empowers me. He gives wisdom where I need wisdom. He gives direction. He teaches me things. And better yet, He works in the other person's life. I like to tell you, if you've never heard me say this to you, you probably haven't been around me enough, I like to tell you, I cannot fix people. A lot of times people, uh, uh, especially immature Christians, will treat their pastor like a fixer. You say, what is a fixer? Well, in Mongolia, I had one. His name was Bobo. Christy remembers Bobo. Bobo seemed to know everybody in the town. And when I had a problem, I called Bobo. There was one time, a friend of mine, he came to me. He just moved to Mongolia, and he was trying to get a Mongolian driver's license. And at the time, you were allowed to take your uh, American driver's license and show it to the, 
to the uh, Mongolian authorities and they would issue you, they, they'd pay a fee, a sum, and then they, uh, they would issue you in a Mongolian driver's license. So my American friend said, is it easy? I said, I think it is. I just walked into the police station. There was a police station that was, that was uh, designated for this. I'd go to this police station, go up to this desk, show me your American license and say, I'd like a Mongolian driver's license. I'll give you one. So he went up to the desk. He showed him his Mongolian driver, his American driver's license. And they said, we're out of the plastic to make Mongolian driver's licenses. You'll have to wait. He said, how long? Oh, it could be months. We don't know. Out of plastic. That's what he, he came back to me. He said, they're out of plastic. I need this driver's license so I can drive and accomplish ministry. I said, let me call my fixer. Picked up the phone, called Bobo. He had his driver's license that next week. I don't know where the plastic came from. <laughs> Bobo had a way to fix things like that. I am not a fixer. If you're having a problem in your marriage and you call me, the only solutions I have for you are what is in the Word of God and the Holy Spirit working in your life. I don't have some secret pill that you take and your problems go away. If you're having trouble with your children, I'll pray with you. I, I pray for my children. You pray for my children. But I don't have a secret formula that do this, 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 and this, and all of a sudden your children will fly straight. What we have is we have the Word of God. and We have the power of the Holy Spirit working on our children's lives. I can't fix every problem you have with a neighbor or with a coworker, But what we can do together is we can pray and trust that the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us not only works on us, but he also works on other people. Let me ask you this question. We won't go too far down this rabbit trail, but let me ask you this question. Can the Holy Spirit work on people who are heathen and not God's children? Yes, he can. You can trust the Holy Spirit to be at work in people's lives so that whatever he allows your way in terms of irritation or disappointment, including disappointment from me, any of those things are intended to get form you to the image of God's Son. We saw that this morning in Romans 8, 26 through 29, how the Holy Spirit, he groans, he intercedes with groanings that cannot be uttered. What? So that our lives will be easy? No, no, no. So that everything will work the way I want it to work? No, no. No, so that I'll be conformed to the image of God's Son. That's what's good for me. So when we walk in the Spirit, we're better able to serve each other because we have the Holy Spirit empowering us and leading us. And we have the Holy Spirit working on the other people in our lives to direct them as well. I'm a better citizen when I walk in the Spirit. Because when I walk in the Spirit, I'm looking for ways to serve my fellow citizen. Here's the second principle of walking in the spirit and that is to walk in the spirit and to walk in the flesh are mutually exclusive in verse 17 it says the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and these are contrary the one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would let's look at let's focus for a minute on this word contrary this Same Greek word for contrary comes up in Luke chapter 13. Hold your place in Galatians chapter 5 and turn with me to Luke chapter 13. And I'll show you the same word. Luke chapter 13 verse 17. I'm going to read to you Luke 13 verse 17. And I want you to guess which English word here in this verse translates the same Greek word that's translated contrary in Galatians 517. So this is Luke 1317, and it says this, and when he had said these things, this is Jesus, when Jesus had said these things, all his adversaries were ashamed, 
And all the people rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. What word in that verse do you think translates the same Greek word that shows up as contrary in Galatians chapter 5? Chloe, I see that hand. Adversaries. They're adversaries. The flesh and the spirit are adversaries. They don't ever get along. They don't make truces. They're not allies. They don't compromise with each other. It's either one or the other. And when I walk in the flesh, I walk in the flesh to get what I want. And when I walk in the spirit, I walk in the spirit to get what the spirit wants. And you make that decision moment. Seriously, we make that decision moment by moment. Let's look at the contrast back in Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 18. Let's look at the contrast there between a person who's walking in the flesh and a person who's walking in the spirit. Let's start in that first uh, verse there. Brethren, ye have been called unto liberty, only use not liberty as an occasion for the flesh. The person who's using their liberty as an occasion for the flesh, is that person walking in the flesh or is that person walking in the spirit? Walking in the flesh, trying to get what they want. Next stuff clause, but by love serve one another. Walking in the spirit or in the flesh? Walking in the spirit. Yeah, somebody's paying attention. Look at the next verse. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The person who loves his neighbor as himself. As himself. Is he walking in the flesh or in the spirit? Walking in the spirit. Verse 15. But if ye bite and devour one another, flesh or spirit? Flesh. You want to know how we can destroy this church in just a matter of months? If we all walk in the flesh and bite and devour each other. And I'm looking for a way to make you look bad so that I look good. And then you look for a way to make me look bad so that you look good. Boy, we're, we're going to destroy the church. We're biting, we're devouring each other. He says, listen, if you're, you're treating each other that way, don't be surprised when you're destroyed, consumed. One of another. Verse 16, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. He's pointing out here, when I'm walking in the spirit, I can't be walking in the flesh. When I'm walking in the flesh, I can't be walking in the spirit. And then verse 17, excuse me, verse 18. If ye be led of the spirit, you're not under the law. Now, sometimes people misunderstand this verse and they misunderstand and think what this means is, if I'm led by the Spirit, I can do whatever I want. The problem is with that, when I am walking in the Spirit, do I get what I want or do I get what the Spirit wants? I get what the Spirit wants. So if you're walking in the Spirit, trust me, you will fulfill the law. But Jesus didn't fulfill the law by keeping a long list of do's and don'ts. Jesus, who is God fulfilled the law because he simply did what God does. He's holy. And when we follow the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is God who dwells inside of us. When we're led of the Spirit, we naturally do the things of the law. But we're not focused on what the law is. We're focused on that relationship with the Holy Spirit. When I sin and I grieve the Holy Spirit, I should also be grieved that I would treat the Holy Spirit that way. That our relationship should be one that I can just treat it carelessly. Imagine, imagine with me, someone in this room, dear friend of yours, and you say something harsh to them. And as soon as you say it, you see their countenance fall and you can tell that they're offended. 
What kind of friend are you if you're like, yeah, score one? What? Aren't you bothered that you offended your friend? And in the same way, when we grieve the Holy Spirit because we're walking in the flesh, when we're focused on getting what I want and making this situation into what I want this situation to be, I'm walking in the flesh, the Holy Spirit is grieved, and as soon as I come to my senses, I too should be grieved. That I would treat the Holy Spirit that way. It's a relationship. It's not a, it's not a ritual. It's not rules. But the person who's walking in the flesh, it's rules for him. Now, I'm going to have to take you all the way back to high school. I don't know if you can remember how far back that was. But back in high school, do you remember arguing over exactly what the instructions on the test were? I had a teacher. She called it, she had a name for it. I forget. There was a particular student who was so bad at this, it was called his name, Rule. If you argued about the instructions on the test, you lost points. Even if you were right, and she admitted in the end that, you read the instructions better than she did or whatever. I don't know how it all worked out. But I know one thing. It really squashed people saying, yeah, but the test says. And when I find myself saying, how close can I get to sin and not actually sin? I wonder if I can get a little bit closer. That's not walking in the spirit. That's not caring about my relationship with the Holy Spirit who per, who's, has personality, who has a desire for my life, and he's intelligent and he loves me. That's not a relationship. That's focusing on the rules. And sure, maybe I didn't break the rule, but what does Jesus tell us in Matthew chapter 5? You cannot break the rule on the outside and on the inside be breaking the rule. And I'll never see that. That's why, to me, it's much more important to teach you to walk in the Spirit than for me to to know everything you're doing and try to control it because I can never control what's on the inside of you. I can never know what you're really thinking, but the Holy Spirit can. And he can deal with my problems before they even become a problem because he can say, hey, your attitude's wrong. Hey, your thinking is wrong. Hey, your emotions, you're letting your emotions control you. That's wrong. And before it ever comes out, the Holy Spirit can deal with me. Now, notice that it goes on in, in verse, uh, verses 19, 20, and 21. It lists a lot of things that are called the works of the flesh. The works of the flesh. And then the next p- passage, verses 22 and 23, we call them the fruit of the Spirit. Do you see the difference there between the works of the flesh, which is a long list of behaviors, and the fruit of the Spirit, which are not behaviors, what are, what are the fruit of the Spirit? They're attitudes. They're attitudes. Love. Love is, is an action. Love motivates our actions. But love is in a particular treatment of somebody. Joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. None of these are actions. They're, they're attitudes. When I'm walking in the Spirit, it starts with my attitudes. When I'm walking in the flesh, what do I care about? What my actions are. Can I justify it to you? Well, I only did that because, and rationalize it to you? That's walking in the flesh. Walking in the Spirit is my attitudes. But let's go on. Verse 24. They that are Christ have crucified the flesh with its affections and lusts. Is that walking in the flesh or walking in the Spirit? Walking in the Spirit. When I walk in the Spirit, those things that are, belong to the old man, I kill those things. I strangle those things. 
verse 25, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And then verse 26, let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. Is that walking in the flesh or walking in the Spirit? Walking in the flesh, I start to provoke each other people. I start to envy other people. I wish I could have their situation. I wish I could have their possessions. I wish I could have their health. I wish I could have their success. And when I can't have it, then guess what? I provoke them. I try to undermine what they're doing. So this whole passage helps us see you can either walk in the flesh, and here are the characteristics of that, or you can walk in the Spirit, and here are the characteristics of that. Let me, have, uh, let me focus now for the next few minutes on two words that unwrap the meaning, that explain the meaning of what it is to walk in the Spirit. The two words that I want to leave you with tonight, the first one is response. Walking in the Spirit implies response. Um, for this uh, particular word, turn with me to Romans 8 again. We were there this morning, Romans 8 and verse 5. Response. Romans 8 and verse 5 says this, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. The controlling verb in that verse is mind. They mind the things of the flesh, or they mind the things of the Spirit. That Greek word behind the English word mind implies three things. The first thing it implies, when we mind the things of the flesh or we mind the things of the spirit, it implies that we have formed and are holding an opinion. We've made a judgment. We've weighed two things and we've decided, yep, this is right, this is wrong. You go to the store. Men, you're asked to pick out a watermelon. How many of you enjoy picking out watermelons? I don't. Matt does. Okay, if you need a watermelon, talk to Matt. I go to the store. My wife's asking me to get a watermelon. I look at a whole box of these watermelons, and they're mostly green, and most of them have some part that's not green, right? And you thump them, and some of them are hollower sounding than others, and some of them feel like they weigh a little bit more, a little bit denser than others. How do you make your decision? And then you bring it home, and guess what happens? You cut it open, and you find out if you're right or not. But you have to make a decision there which, which watermelon you're going to take home. That's this idea of froneo, which means to mind, to form an opinion. Okay, I think this is right, and I think this is wrong, so I'm going to do this and not that. You either mind the things of the flesh, you either think the things of the flesh are right and worthy, or the things of the spirit are right and worthy. That requires a response. You can't just stand there and say, well, I'm not going to pick out a watermelon. You can't call your wife and say, uh, honey, you come get your own watermelon. You've got to make that choice, whether you're going to walk in the flesh or whether you're going to walk in the spirit. There's a second aspect of this word mind, though, and that is to take sides. Once you've decided you've, that this is right and this is wrong, or this is right and this is wrong, then you actively take sides. Uh, a great, explana- a great um, understanding of this is sports fanatics which we shorten to sports fans. I happen to know that Hudson has already decided which team he wants to win the World Series. Nothing wrong with that, by the way. He's taken a side. 
Some of you haven't taken a side. Some of you didn't only know, know what the World Series is. Is that the Lakers and the, the 49ers? Or I don't know, something like that, right? But those, some of you have taken a side. Guess what? When it comes to walking in the flesh or walking in the spirit, you have to take a side. Wouldn't it be nice if you could just be neutral? I just want to be neutral today, Lord. <laughs> now, you're going to take a side. You're either going to walk in the flesh or you're going to walk in the spirit. And based on the side that you have taken, you're going to develop an attitude towards life, towards your choices, toward everything. So you're going to form an opinion, you're going to take sides, and then you're going to develop attitudes that reinforce whatever side you've taken. That's what it means to mind the things of the flesh or to mind the things of the spirit. And when you walk in the flesh, what happens is you say, you know, I think walking in the flesh is the way to get what I want. And this is what's important to me in life. And I'm going to develop attitudes that support walking in the flesh. That's why you will from time to time meet a Christian who seems so far off the beaten path. I can't tell what's in their heart. I can't tell you if they're truly saved or not. But they can be so far off the beaten path. They can be arguing for things that aren't even in the Bible. What's wrong? Well, if you're after the flesh, then you mind, you take the side of the things that are the flesh. When you walk in the Spirit, guess what? You develop attitudes that help you walk in the Spirit. It's a response that you make. To summarize, you critically weigh the two options. You decide to take a side, and then you develop those attitudes that are going to support the side that you've taken. What I want you to do tonight is be convinced, absolutely convinced, that the side you need to take is to walk in the Spirit. And to get on the Holy Spirit's side and decide that you're going to develop the attitudes that help you walk in the Spirit. I don't mean the attitudes as in the fruit of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit develops that part. I mean your own habits of righteousness, your own habits of thinking. You're going to quickly identify sin and confess it so that you can walk in the Spirit. And sin and pride won't come between you and the Holy Spirit. So the first word, when it comes to responding to the Holy Spirit, the, 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 when it comes to walking in the Spirit, the first word is response. And that's why I chose to entitle this sermon, The Discipline of Responding to the Spirit. The second word is cooperation. Now, I thought a long time about this word because the other word that I weighed carefully was the word submission. But the difference is this. Do you realize the Holy Spirit doesn't demand obedience? The Holy Spirit wants me to obey Him. The Holy Spirit wants me to keep God's law. In fact, in the scripture reading we read this morning, John chapter 14, verse 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. But God in His sovereignty allows me at times to walk in the flesh. Frankly, that's beyond my understanding. You say, well, explain that to me theologically, why God lets me do that. I don't know. I wouldn't let you do that. But that's why I'm not God. <laughs> he doesn't force us to obey him. We have to cooperate with him. How many of you have ever been in a sailboat? Sailboat. Just a few people sailboat. 
A friend of mine in Oregon had a sailboat, and on a couple of occasions, he invited us to go sailing with him on the Columbia River. And I remember one time uh, he wanted to go, uh, I think it was upriver, upstream, and the wind was against us. So we had a little motor. We flipped the motor on, you know, and it puttered up the, puttered up the river. But go back to first century uh, times when, when Jesus was walking this earth. They didn't have internal combustion engines to push the boat upstream. So if you wanted to go against the wind and the current, guess what you had to do? You had to row. Now, could you row against the wind? Of course you could. You can row against the wind all day. But it's also very wearing. It's much better to hoist your sail and go in the direction that the wind pushes you. And in John chapter 3, the Holy Spirit is likened to wind. And in our lives, he has a plan, he has a direction, and the wind is blowing in that direction. If we'll hoist our sail and cooperate with him, we can accomplish a lot in the power of the Holy Spirit. Or we can demand to do it our way and backbreakingly row against the Holy Spirit. And frankly, that's why so many Christians are frustrated in their Christian life. And they say, Pastor, why is it so hard to be a Christian? Because you're rowing against the wind. You're rowing against the wind. The Holy Spirit's trying to push you in one direction and you just keep rowing against the wind. We have to cooperate with what the Holy Spirit wants. Now, cooperation is never difficult when we agree. Cooperation is always difficult when we disagree. You know, when my wife agrees with me, we never have a trouble making decisions. <laughs> the problem is when I disagree with my wife that we have trouble making decisions. We see things differently and we say, no, 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 Christy, Christy, listen to me. We've got to do this because. And she says, no, 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 Scott, Scott, you've got to understand, we've got to do this because. That's where we have friction. And as long as I agree with the Holy Spirit, cooperation really isn't the right word. Because, of course, the Holy Spirit is leading me the direction I want to go. Let's go. Let's hoist that sail. Let's get it up. It's when I disagree with the Holy Spirit. And I know which direction he's trying to push me. I know where the winds are taking me. And I don't want to go that way. I want to go my own way. That I put the sail down and I put the oars in the oarlocks and I start rowing. And I can tell you that never gets you where you want to be. So we need to respond. If we're going to walk in the Spirit, we need to respond to the Spirit. When we walk in the Spirit, we need to cooperate with what the Spirit is accomplishing, even when we disagree. Those are the two words that help us understand walking in the Spirit. Now, I think I'm going to collapse all this to, to one point. Walking in the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit is a powerful combination that enables Christian living. Because when I walk in the Spirit, the natural result, the thing that just comes out without fail is the fruit of the Spirit. That's why it's called fruit. How many of you have a fruit tree in your yard? How many of you go out and beat that thing to get more fruit? You don't beat it. Now, some of you are smart enough, you fertilize it and you water it. Okay, but leaving that aside, you can't make that tree bear fruit. It just doesn't. That's the way it is. And if it's an orange tree, it bears orange, oranges, whether you want it to or not. If it's a pear tree, it, pears are going to come out of that thing. <laughs> and when I'm walking in the Spirit, guess what comes out? The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. That's what comes out. It's just natural. 
And that's what enables Christian living. I heard a man describe it this way. <coughs> Imagine if you decide you're going to take for your next trip, your next vacation, you're going to take a couple day hike through the Sierras. Beautiful country. So uh, you go out to the uh, store or maybe you already have the equipment. You get your backpack ready. You get the uh, food that you're going to need. Now, this is one of those trips where you hike out for a day and you go from one prepared campsite to the next prepared campsite. So you're all excited. You got all your stuff ready. Day number one, you pack up your camp. You start hiking. You come to the first fork in the road. You're not really sure if you should go right or left. So you choose a path. It doesn't matter right or left. And you end up in the brambles and you finally get back onto the right path. And then you find out that you went the wrong way and you went all the way around. You could have saved yourself two or three miles if you just went went on the right path. And so by the time you get to camp that night, you are wore out. You're cut up by the brambles. You're discouraged because it was such a long walk. Your feet hurt. And when you pull into camp, when you walk into camp, pull in, you walk into camp, there's a guy sitting there. He looks like he knows what he's doing. He's rested. He's already cooked his dinner and eaten it. And he says to you, where have you been? I was your guide for the trail and you left without me this morning. I could have saved you going the wrong way. You didn't have to go through the brambles. You didn't have to go the long way around. You could have walked into camp and I would have made dinner for you and I would have set up your tent. I mean, after all, you paid for this guide. How many times do we treat the Holy Spirit like that? We set off into our day. We figure we know the trail. We know where we're going. We know what's going to happen. So we just take off without him and we leave him behind. And we find ourselves in the brambles and we find ourselves going the long way around and we find ourselves with aching feet at the end of the day. And we say, God, I can't, I can't do this forever. And God the Father says, I don't want you to do it. I've given you the Holy Spirit as your guide, as your comforter, as your paraclete, the guy who walks along beside you. And he's going to show you the way. He's going to give you the strength. He's going to make the meals for you, but you just got to stick close to him. That's what walking in the Spirit is. And when we walk in the Spirit, the natural result is the fruit of the Spirit. And then we have the set of attitudes that we need to respond to whatever life brings to us. But when we insist in walking in the flesh, that's when we get ourselves into trouble. When we walk in the Spirit, it says this in verse 18, if you, led, if you be led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. You're not in bondage to sin. You're not in bondage to the law. You're not continually thinking, okay, am I, am I keeping every law that God wants me to keep? No, you're thinking, what is my relationship with the Holy Spirit? Am I still walking alongside Him or have I, have I abandoned Him and I'm going off trail? It's that powerful combination of walking in the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit that enables Christian living. So that brings me to the invitation tonight, and that is, are you walking in the Spirit, or are you walking in the flesh? For you, is it about what you want and getting what you want, in which case you've put the oars in the oarlock, and boy, you're pulling with all your might. Or is it about what the Holy Spirit wants, what God wants? In which case, you're going to hoist your sail and you're going to let the Holy Spirit, the wind of the Holy Spirit, push you in the direction that He wants you to go. Are you walking in the flesh and what you see are the 
behaviors that are listed for you in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19, 20, and 21? Or are you walking in the Spirit, in which case you see the attitudes listed for us in verses 22 and 23? Are you in a competition with your fellow Christian, desirous of vain glory, provoking each other, biting each other, devouring each other? (laughs) Or are you walking in the Spirit and you have a desire to serve? Only you can answer that question, but I hope you'll consider that tonight as we pray and we have our invitation. Father, thank you for offering us your Holy Spirit as a guide, as a comforter, as the one who walks alongside the helper, the one who enables us, the one who guides us, the one who gives us advice, the one who gives us counsel. Those, for those times when we're overwhelmed, when we don't know how we're ever going to accomplish it, he's the one who says, through me, you can do all things. Father, teach us what it is to walk in the Spirit. Teach us what it is to walk, uh, to be filled with the Spirit. Help us to identify quickly when we are walking in the flesh and to confess it and to get back on the path, the trail with you. Father, you know the importance of walking in the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit. Burn that into our thinking tonight and reveal to us where we are with, in our relationship with the Holy Spirit. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.